Our primary reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Would you listen now for the word of the Lord? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. The word of the Lord. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you. My name is AJ. It's a blessing to be with you this morning. Uh, I come all the way from uh, Mount Pleasant. So uh, it's been a trek for me. Actually, I was curious to know if I would even get across the Ravenel, given the wind. Um, but nevertheless, here I am, and here you are. So it's good to be together. Um, I, you know, I, I woke up this morning to a text from Germany. Uh, one of the parishioners of the church that I serve in um, was worshiping with uh, a body of Christ there, on, uh, and she, she was traveling with family back home. And it just occurred to me how, how brilliant it is that all over the world, people are celebrating this story. You know, I, I know that we— um, we, we talk about, and maybe you hear that the, the church is in sort of decline, and that, that may be true where we are in our corner of the world, but I can assure you um, in, in many areas of the world and, and even spreading throughout the world, the church is alive and well. The story of Jesus is reverberating all over the world today, and it's just beautiful to gather this time of year. And, you know, I might come from all the way across the bridge um, here but to know that the story of Jesus is well alive here and that together we get to sort of revel in that story together and wonder what that mystery means for our lives on Monday and on Wednesday night and next Thursday and on Saturday morning and with our families, with our friends, coworkers, etc. cetera. It, it's amazing the shoulders that we stand on and what we're united by. Um, it's just incredible. And so it's a joy to be with you today. I feel obviously we're already family. And so um, I've known Colin for a little bit and um, since I moved here three years ago. And we'll just say like Colin is, a, is, a, is just this strange amalgam of compassion meets creativity. And so when I think of him and I think about the anointing God has put on his life to lead this church at this time, I think what, a, what an incredible sort of cocktail to be led by someone who is equal parts compassionate and creative. Uh, you often get one of those and not both. And so it's wonderful to be uh, in this community that you're a part of and sculpting. And yes, thank you. Um, I think we agreed to more than $20. So maybe we'll talk about that as well. Um, but my name is AJ. Uh, I'm a priest uh, in North, North Mount Pleasant, a ch- church called St. Peter's, and um, it's just a joy to be with you today. So nevertheless, let me pray together, and then let's, um, let's move forward into our text. Um, so pray with me. Holy Spirit, we ask that you um, would speak uh, in and through us today. We believe that you reside in the core of our being, that you're not far, that Jesus, you promised to give the Holy Spirit that we would not be alone, that we are connected to you in Trinity and so we just, we just give space for you to speak and poke around our souls today, that we would know who we are in you and that we would live that expression out in this world. And so call us more, um, more clearly into your kingdom this day. Move through us in this text. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 50 years ago, social scientists, I, I think, conducted one of the greatest experiments that the world has ever known. You know of this experiment. As I say it now, you'll say, oh yeah, 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 I've heard of that before. It's called the marshmallow test. So you've heard of this before, you're aware of that test. The children were individually brought into a room 50 years ago, a private room, one by one, where they laid eyes on one delicious marshmallow. 
And the experiment was something like this, if you've not heard of it. The person conducting the experiment said to each child that you have 15 minutes and you can have the marshmallow. Go ahead and take it if you'd like. But if you'll wait 15 minutes, I'll come back and then I'll give you two. And the fascinating results that happened for these 32 children as they tracked them later into adulthood was that they found that their academic performance and what culture would deem success, that those who were able to wait actually performed at a higher level. The idea is obvious here. And the idea is simply that for those who wait, more becomes possible. That's the idea. That there's something to waiting, to something being cultivated in the human person that waiting is designed to do, that impatience, efficiencies, um, all the things that our life are sort of bent around in the Western world with technology and things of that nature, that there's something to waiting that is designed to create and birth new things in us that isn't possible to the extent when we don't wait, when we aren't patient, when we don't have um, a sense of long-suffering, that there's something about inefficiency that's actually quite good for us. And that's what the season of Advent is designed to sort of cultivate in us. It's not a season of, um, of sort of immediacy and entitlement. It's a season of, of waiting and something is coming, but it's not fully realized that the invitation to Advent is waiting. And this goes all the way back to the first Advent of which the ancients longed for, the first coming of the Messiah, that thousands of years, thousands and thousands of years, generations after generations, longed but waited for the Christ to come. And when he did come 2,000 years ago, it did not disappoint. It's the same with Mary. For nine long months, after, after she receives a word of prophetic promise, she waits She groans. She sort of aches in the mystery of what's growing inside of her. And she was not disappointed. We live in the second age, the time of the second advent, where we are too waiting for Christ to come again. Our belief isn't that he will return as a child this time, but that Christ will return as a king. A kind of king who will rule the world with justice and with peace. A king who will put an end to conflict and cancer king who will bring shalom once and for all to areas like Gaza and Ukraine. One who can quench the thirst of every human heart. And in that day, we believe that King Jesus will end all terrorism and hunger, anxiety and fear. But, but we wait. And, you know, I think unlike the results of the marshmallow test, You know, the results of Advent for us in this, like, sort of training season of waiting for Christmas morning, the results aren't success in the worldly sense. It's not like higher SAT scores or something like that. Like, waiting in Advent for us brings us the gifts of real hope and genuine love and true peace and deep joy. These are the themes of what you've been talking about. Hope and joy and peace and love. These aren't sort of gifts that you wrap under a tree. These are of divine origin. Jesus would come along and he would say in his ministry, peace I give you, my peace I leave you. And then he says this, it's amazing. He says, no, 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 not as the world gives. It's not some sort of counterfeit peace, the absence of war. There's something even more. There's the presence of shalom and you can't get that on the market shelf. It's something that comes from the divine alone. And Jesus said, I'm going to leave that with you, but I'm going to usher it into the entire creation. Just, just wait because it's coming. And see, we are the people of the second advent. But here's a question. I don't know if you're anything like me in this sense. 
have you ever felt that sense on December 26th of like a feeling of disappointment? Like, a, a, like the songs have been sung, uh, the festivities have been attended to, but this sort of like strange, hollow feeling haunts the soul. A, a kind of, of, of tinny sort of feel as you've come through the season on December 26th. Like you've missed something. I, I felt that before. And I think it's because of this. We'll put it on the screen. Little Advent, little Christmas. Great Advent, great Christmas. Like the most hollow Christmas seasons I've ever experienced are ones in which I'm moving frenetically through the season, attending all of these things where I say yes to everything and no to nothing, and it's like everything gets filled up, and by the time I get to December 26, it just feels like, what just happened? And am I actually like cultivating anything in my soul? Little Advent, little Christmas. Great Advent, great Christmas. Advent is four weeks of waiting for what our souls actually long for, and And it's designed to grow something deep inside of you that resists reaching for substitutes, things that aren't quite real. I I find it strange, not like a critique, but I do find it strange that we give our kids chocolates every day in a season of waiting in our Advent calendars, right? Like, does that cultivate waiting? I don't know. I mean, unless like the chocolate you give them on Christmas Day is like the size of like a giraffe, like these little bite sized like it, it's still reaching for substitutes instead of waiting for what our souls really long for, waiting for something deeper inside of you. Or maybe it's waiting for someone to grow deeper inside of you and to know how to hold that to be present to that. And so in our scriptures today, I want to pick up on one word for the next 15 minutes and then I'll be done. And it comes like this, verse 2 of Micah. Here's the ancients as they waited for the first advent. It reads this, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And then we go to Luke 2 and to the the sort of moment where that longing, that prophecy becomes fulfilled. Here's where it is. So Joseph, verse 4 of Luke 2, also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to, hello, to Bethlehem. We'll pick up on this word, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Today I want to talk about one word briefly, and it's the word Bethlehem. You know this word. You've sung it, O little town of Bethlehem. You don't need to be a Jesus follower to know and have picked up on this term as it's become sort of culturally known. What I want to convince you of in the next few minutes is that this word is much deeper than you think. That we have a sort of cursory understanding of Bethlehem as if it could have been anywhere, that Jesus could have born in any town. But there's something prophetically sort of hardwired into the story that when we begin to understand the significance of this town, this village, this place at this time, something sort of grows in us to understand the significance and poetry of what God has been doing since the dawn of time. I want to suggest that this word is deeper than you think. But to get to that word, let me show you another word first. Permit me to invite you into the word tell. Can we say that together? A tell is a hill. You actually know this word. You've heard of Tel Aviv. Tel means hill. Aviv means spring. Hill of the spring or spring hill is what that city means. That Tel means hill. That most of the Holy Land where Christ was born is a Tel. 
And what it's hell is, as you can see through this image, is it's layer and layer and layer over time. You, you don't have access to what you see on the side there because it's all covered in some sort of grass or some sort of um, stone or whatever that is. Societies have built on top of each other layer after layer after layer. And so underneath you have all this hidden treasure of civilization that you don't quite have access to. A tell is kind of like this. I want you to imagine, may I place things up here? Is that okay? Okay. Some people are like, oh, no, you can't touch this. No, don't touch the table. Whatever. So um, a tell is like Legos, right? And it's as if one child came along and started to put together some sort of Lego city and then left, and then another child came along and started to add to that. And then another child came along 10 minutes later and started to add to that. And then maybe someone came along and took that one off and put something else on. And then 10 minutes later, another child came and added their contribution. And over time, what you get is a sort of collective perspective on civilization being built layer after layer after layer. In fact, they've said that some tells in Israel are more than 20 layers of civilization. 20 layers. You can imagine archaeologists, it's why they take so much painstaking, painstaking care to just unearthing layer after layer after layer because they're digging through peoples and languages and civilizations that have come over time. A tell is like a layer of soil that is just built slowly over time on top of each other until it fills space. It can go up to 20 different layers. It's crazy. When I think about the tell of the Holy Land, when you stand in places, and I love to teach in Israel, what you find is that you get the Canaanites, and then the Israelites, and then the Babylonians, and then the Seleucians, and the Maccabees. You've heard of Hanukkah, right? You get the Maccabeans, and then you get the Romans, and then you get the Christians, and then you get the Muslims. You have all of these layers of civilization. When you go to the Temple Mount today, what you see is the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock sitting right there of the Muslim layer that has come along last on the temple and added their sort of impulse on what that is. Layer upon layer, soil upon soil. It's like Legos. That is a tell. And without making much of a political statement here, let me just state the obvious. Much of the fight that we see in this part of the world has to do with p different people groups justifying their right to the land because they can point to a layer in history that they believed once belonged to their peoples. And it, it's, it's, it's more than that, but it's not less than that. That sort of gets us at the sort of conflict that we see that has been going on since the dawn of time, it seems. 20 layers of civilization where Jesus was born. That's deep. And what I want to suggest is that that is why it makes it really hard to know what's underneath. And you're like, okay, cool. Thanks for the archaeology lesson, bro. Like, I appreciate that. Thanks for the history. Why does this matter? Because, symbolically speaking, Christmas is a tell. Layer upon layer, stuff upon stuff. And it makes it really hard to really get at what lies underneath. It's no wonder when December 26th comes along 
it can feel like a touch of a letdown. My favorite layer in this, by the way, is the lawn inflatables. Seems like every year that gets a little more intense. So let's dig a little bit. What's Christmas about? It's about what's in this box. Colin, what's in this box? Someone take a guess. What's Christmas about? Little baby Jesus. Tiny baby. Little baby Jesus is not in this box, by the way. What's in this box? Someone take a guess. You got to dig a little bit. It's all in the text. The text is amazing. When you dig into the text, what you find is a little town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem. What does it mean? It comes from a compound word on the screen. It's Beth is the word bait. Lachem is the word bread. What you find is that Bethlehem is the house of bread. The house of bread. That strategically in the sort of annals of history that God would have the Messiah born in the house of bread. A town called that. That's interesting. And now what is that baby then born into? Well, you know that that word, it's a manger, right? And what's that? It's not a cozy wooden bed. It's a limestone feeding trough for animals. I find that fascinating. And in John's gospel, Jesus calls himself what? The bread of life. Now that's really strange. But does anyone want a croissant? Does anyone want this? This is, this is a giveaway. If anyone's hungry, this is your moment. And I'm not even kidding. I'll meet you halfway. Who wants it? There you go. Uh, he would take it, right? He'll give it away, I'll guarantee you that. Let's put this together. The bread of life was born in a town called the House of Bread and placed in a feeding trough to satisfy the hunger of every human soul. It is no coincidence that at communion he gave us What element to eat to remember him? He gives us bread. Bread is the meaning of Christmas. He was born in it. He was placed in it. And he became it for the world. That's what we're waiting for. This isn't it. It's just not it. You got to dig, and our souls dig in the waiting, in the quiet, in the inefficiency, in the inconvenience, in the stillness, all the opposite things that our culture is compounding and pressing in on us. And these things aren't bad in the Christmas tell, but you have to dig deeper. And it's like, okay, cool, like nice little lesson, like that's great. What can we do? What do we do? That's a really great question. AJ, what can I do tomorrow? What can I do this week? What can I do to gain access to that? Here's what it is in one word. Here's what you do in the next week before Christmas morning. Less. This season isn't about doing anything. It's about us learning to receive everything that our hearts actually cry out for. That's the gospel. That God has given us the bread of heaven in Christ our Savior. But instead, this time of year, we're more excited about lawn inflatables.
What if you did something very different this next week? What if you did less? I was really proud of my friend the other day. I invited him to something and he said no because he needed to create some space. I said, I've never been more excited to be rejected. Thank you. Maybe less talking and more listening this week. Maybe less rushing and more walking, less noise, more silence. And as strange as it sounds, less yes and more no. Augustine said it well. We must empty ourselves of all that fills us so that we may be filled with what we are empty of. Little Advent, little Christmas. Great Advent, great Christmas. Let's prepare our hearts this morning for confession, to create space in us that the divine would grow. A lot of great questions this morning, so we'll do a few now and then um, finish them up tomorrow. Um, Are you ready? Let's do this. All right. There is a criticism that I have heard of the marshmallow experiment that waiting (laughs) out temptation for a later reward is largely largely a middle or upper class behavior. Mm -hmm. If you come from a place of shortages and broken promises, eating the treat in front of you now might be the better bet than trusting there will be more later. What do you think of this criticism? Yeah, I think it, it... Factors in the other side of the argument, which is, um, what is it? A bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. I think that's the argument it is. Yeah, I would just say that that, that sounds like a, a fair critique mm-hmm. of the marshmallow experiment. Um, all right. I'm worried if I have too high or great expectations of God, I'll experience even greater disappointment. Yeah. Can you help me with discerning what great Advent hopes look like? Yeah. Um, I would say at the, at the bedrock of all of our anxiety is the desire for our preferred outcome. It's in the surrender of the outcome of what things are supposed to look like. Not to say we shouldn't have longing and dreams and vision and desire. Desire is not bad. It's the disorder of those things that that work against us. But to be be let down by God is is very biblical. You see it all throughout the narrative, um, particularly in the Hebrew scriptures. I think what we always know, though, is that light is always on the way. And... um, and that what resurrection tells us, even though I'm jumping ahead in the story above all, is, is, that, is that whatever it is God has for us, it's better than what we could have for ourselves, if you will. And I know that doesn't satisfy all of our anxiety here, but surrendering that outcome of the thing I want and using Jesus to get there, um, I think is one of the calls of Advent waiting is to say, God, I really want this relief. I want this comfort. I want this outcome to be what I want it to be. And yet even Jesus would lead us in praying things like, um, I have a will. I would prefer not to drink this cup, but your will be done. And somehow God's understanding of what we need, it's better than our understanding of what we need. Will Willimon, one of my favorite Methodist preachers says, maybe didn't God come to meet your needs? Maybe God came to rearrange your needs. And there's something to that that I think we trust. It doesn't mean I have to like it, but it does mean that I get to trust it. And there's peace there rather than sort of fighting for the outcome that I want. Thank you. But that's not easy. And we're formed in that waiting for what's better. Um, There's several kind of in this theme. um, So I just picked one of them. But um, 
what would it actually look or feel like to do Advent well in such a way that on Christmas Day you feel that reward of the waiting? Mm -hmm. um, what does this look like for you, or do you have any practical applications for a great Advent? Yeah, mine, like, and I've, I've, I have a contemplative sort of bent to my spirituality, so like savor the story is, um, is a phrase that I use a lot of myself. I find that I drift quickly into entertainment and just sort of like mindless, you know, evenings with my wife where we'll just kind of veer. And there's nothing wrong with, like, I'm, I'm not like a, a Luddite or someone that hates entertainment. I'm just saying, like, things to have their proper place. There's been something really comforting for me to sit by the tree early morning, late evening, once my daughter is down, before my family gets up, to just be and just being with God where I don't need to hear something, I don't need to do anything, it's just me and my French press coffee and the Lord, and it's enough. And so for me, that creates a sense of, of stillness long enough to settle some of the noise and sort of anxiety of my day, to just give it that proper place so I can just, I think that's the great limit that I have, that I, I wasn't still enough. Um, and so I know a lot of us are busy. How do I take a few moments here and there throughout my day and savor the story? Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we have a lot more great questions. If you're watching this later or taking time to meditate this afternoon on what Pastor AJ has brought before us this morning, please go ahead and text them in and Colin will address them tomorrow on live stream. Beautiful.